Hello and welcome back to Two Furs. It is Monday the 22nd of March. Uh, we've just had a big weekend of boxing and uh, this will be the weekend recap. I think this is probably going to be the way that I do things from now on, just sort of taking the Monday and looking back at the entire weekend of boxing. I don't believe I've missed any out. Um, I actually completely forgot about Berta Biev fighting over the weekend so I had to quickly <laughs> go back and watch that one. Um, but yeah, so overall there was uh, four contests. Um, I think the main talking point uh, over the weekend was Lawrence Acoli, really. Um, especially mainly because it was a UK fight, I think I'm saying that. Uh, Virgil Ortiz versus Maurice Hooker is again, uh, was a brilliant spectacle. So we will come on to those two later. Um, to start off with, obviously I mentioned in the last episode... That we will talk about Lee McGregor, um, because he captured the European title against Kareem Gouerfi. I think that's how you say it. Um, he captured the European title on Friday night, uh, just on one of sort of the MTK small hall shows, and uh, you know that that fight had been postponed a couple of times. McGregor was sort of so eager and ready to go and take on that challenge. Um, and it was great to you know see them finally meet in the ring on Friday night, um, but it was just all McGregor, <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people expected maybe not so much after the postponements and you giving McGregor more time to prepare, and I think that only favours him more. Um, it was just he completely dominated the fight, um, you know. Obviously, in the first round stoppage, there was just not too much to talk about. Um, but he was able to tr drop him twice with body shots. Um, really impressive how he managed to find those openings so quickly. But I'm not really a big fan of the many French boxers. I don't know if that's just a stereotype, but a lot of them just sort of leave themselves leave themselves open and um, don't really usually have too much to compete with, basically. Um, but yeah, McGregor, he, he just looked a little bit special the way that he was able to sort of like take apart Gwerthy. Um Showed all the makings that he can become a serious contender in the next couple of years. Um, really the sort of like next year or so, I suppose. Um, but there are a lot of great fights that can happen domestically. Obviously you've got Cal Yefai who's um, now fighting at the bantamweight limit. Charlie Edwards, I believe they're like former stablemates, so I'm not too sure if that fight will happen. But then you got, you know, Paul Butler um, as well, who's kind of, you know, in the later stage of his career. You know, he's had his world titles um, and has kind of been like trying to get him back on track. Maybe McGregor can sort of provide him the, the stepping stone that he needs. And same for McGregor, you know, former world champion and Paul Butler. Um, great opportunity for him. But the one that I most want to see is a rematch with Cash Farouk. Um, that fight must have been ages ago now. Jesus, that must be 2019. Um, obviously before COVID and everything. So, I mean, that was a great fight. Um, and a great advertisement for just Scottish boxing. Um, you know, they tend to not get... Um, 
not necessarily great fights. That's that's the wrong way to word it. But you don't get a lot of action going up there. But in recent years, you know, you've had Lee McGregor, you've had Cash Farouk, you've had Josh Taylor. You know, Ricky Burns is was kind of the one who was um, holding the flag for Scotland boxing. Um, so I'd just love to see that rematch. And I think the sooner the better. I don't really want to wait until one of them captures a world title. Um, I would just rather see it happens straight away um and i think both guys are kind of eager to get that rematch probably catch Farouk more seeing as he lost that fight um i think he really desperately wants to avenge that loss but it will most most likely most definitely it is going to happen at some point um so uh yeah just can't wait to see it i just hope it's next really um, but moving on to Artur Bertabiev, you know, he had a long time out of the ring when he uh, went to go and face Adam Deans on Saturday night, although for the UK time it was like early afternoon. I think that's why I missed it. I didn't really see much floating around about the fight. I think I knew he was fighting, but I didn't know much about Adam Deans and still don't know that much about Adam Deans. Um, but, you know, as it was a kind of unknown opponent, it's hard to kind of, you know, divulge what was going on. Um, you know, Artur Bebeev was a hard-hitting machine. Uh, but, you know, in that fight, he was kind of showing a lot of slowly, slowness. It showed that ring rust was there. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely, for people who did bet for the fight to go over six rounds, i tip my hat to you because <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't see it going into the second half of the fight, that's for sure. Um but you know the he's still got he's still got the knockout you know he's added that to his record now sixteen no sixteen knockouts, um, and yeah so he sort of dropped Danes with a straight left uh, for the first knockdown this was both in the tenth session I believe, um, and then yeah just followed it up when he arose with a left hook to secure the stoppage, but in doing so, in securing that victory he just looked very hittable. Uh, showed some vulnerabilities that were kind of unconvincing to me of his top spot in the 175 pound division. Um, you know, I would fancy Joe Smith Jr. to go and beat him off based off of that performance. I'd also give Canelo a much greater chance than I originally did. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what Berta Biev does next. You know, his professional career hasn't been kind to him in terms of in terms of activity. And I honestly think it will be another lengthy spell out of the ring before we see him return. Um, so, I don't know. I just hope I'm wrong. Uh, hopefully, you know, Smith Vlasov, I think that's been rescheduled now. Um, hopefully that happens soon and then the winner of that will go on and face uh, Bertabiev, hopefully. Um, but Bertabiev, Joe Smith Jr. Uh, specifically, I think it's just a fantastic fight. Um Brilliant styles coming together for that. Now we're coming on to one of the main talking points. Obviously, Lawrence Akoli arrived on the world stage uh, with a six-round knockout of Christoph Glavatsky. Um, brilliant performance. Uh, just dominated the the, the contest, um, and uh, you know showed that a jab is very important in a fight like this um as well as that i was really impressed with akoli's footwork it i will admit it's something that i haven't really 
spotted before. Um, I guess it's just the the um, fight in the Southpaw experienced operator like Glavatsky and just seeing that you no know, Coley was very easily able to step in, jab, and then move back out. He, he just controlled the fight so easily. Um, Glavatsky, from what I have seen of him, just looked like a shell of his former self. He just wasn't able to do anything of significance. Um, if I did have one criticism of a Coley, um, it's just that what I was noticing was that he was just shooting his right hand so low. Um, and obviously when he does this, because he likes to leave his, or he was leaving his left hand swinging down, um, if he does that, he's just leaving himself wide open for anything coming back. Uh, that was the only really criticism that I had. But overall, the improvements that he's made under Shane McGuigan is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I think I said in the last episode, one of my favourite trainers from the United Kingdom at the moment. Um, you know, what he's done with Josh Taylor, um, what he's doing with Coley. Anthony Fowler looked brilliant from what I've heard. I still have to go and watch that fight. Um, but just uh, fantastic trainer for just improving fighters as a standard. Um, and I think, you know, it could have, Lawrence leaving his left hand down could have very easily been a tactic to lure Glowacki in for a Coley's right hand. Um, you know, it's a potential. <laughs> uh, but next for a Coley, I want to see him face Meris Bradis next. Um, and a lot of people are kind of, well, not a lot of people, but some people are saying that's like, oh, too soon, he should face Alunga Maccabi first. I wouldn't be disappointed with him facing Alunga Maccabi. I just really think Akoli is ready to take on, you know, undoubtedly the best cruiserweight in the world. And I think he needs to secure himself as the world's best cruiserweight right now, um, sometime later this year. Um, like I said, Maccabi, I think, is probably more realistic um, and yeah, I wouldn't be disappointed with that fight. I just, I don't know. I don't know who can really stop based off of this performance. I don't know who can really stop a Coley, um, you know, put a stop in his tracks. I don't know who beats him. Maris Bradis is the, you know, the most competitive fight out there for him. Um, and I think Bradis might beat him. I'm just not, I'm not massively convinced. Um, Akoli just, he just looks so difficult to beat. Um, and I'm just, yeah, excited for the journey now. He's a completely different fighter to what we've seen in the past. Very, very, very exciting future for him. Now, finally, we've got um, Virgil Ortiz. You know, continued his knockout streak with the seventh round stoppage of Maurice Hooker. Brilliant fight. Um, you know, as as we kind of expected, Ortiz did have to come through some sort of learning moments in that fight. You know, Hooker really did test him. I think from what I remember, I gave Ortiz like the first two rounds and then Hooker came firing back and three and four still in those two rounds. And it was just kind of going back and forth. There was a lot of action in that fight as expected. Um hooker really uh does like to go toe-to-toe -to -toe at times and really sort of go in those exchanges um and yeah i think that's kind of what led to a slightly bizarre ending um so hooker did go down in the seventh round dropped to his knees i think it was a body short he got caught with um 
But then when he got back up and then they were sort of in an exchange, uh, it looked like Hooker had suffered a dislocated elbow um, during that exchange. And uh, it just left him in no position to continue. And that's a painful injury, um, especially mid-fight sort of thing. I think it's just kind of got caught in the wrong place. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a shame the ending for it. But I think, you know, the writing was really on the wall considering Hooker had been dropped like 30 seconds prior to the ending. Um, so, yeah, Ortiz, you know, he called for the Crawford... Um, Crawford fight after the Hooker fight and uh, he said a brilliant quote which I put out on my Twitter he said look I don't care if I'm ready or not I want that fight and I love that energy from Virgil Ortiz um, it's an energy that a lot more fighters should have and I'm just fed up of this whole sort of oh like he needs like another fight or two or things like that like no just if he's happy to go in there with Terence Crawford you know he should do it you know after Teofimo Lopez you know, conquered Vasily Lomachenko uh, last year. You know, it's great to see so many young fighters are following suit. They want greatness. Um, and beating Crawford, who is... I wouldn't put him as number one. I don't really know why a lot of people have Crawford as number one pound for pound. Um, but it's really a conversation for another day. But, um, yeah, if he wants to go and face Crawford, fair play to him. Um, you know, he's definitely one of the one of the pound for pound stars in the sport. Um, and you know, Crawford, he didn't show any interest in this fight with Ortiz, but then he ruled out the potential showdown with Errol Spence Jr., saying that he didn't want that fight. Like, so God knows who we will fight. So I hope Ortiz gets the Crawford fight now. You know, it might be too early for him, but you know, at this stage, they're just running out of options. I don't know who else they can really put in with Virgil Ortiz maybe a legitimate welterweight obviously hooker coming up from 140 pounds um there could be someone Keith Furman potentially but I don't know yeah if it's just one of them where if he's if he wants to win a world title why would he face a former world champion um, when he's just beaten a former world champion, like he's ready for a world title shot. I think he's kind of shown that he's ready to take on the sort of best in the division. Um, and out of the fighters, out of the world champions that there are, I probably would have gone for Crawford. So I can kind of see that, uh, you know, they're running out of options really for Virgil Ortiz. Like I think it needs to be a world title shot or sort of a world title eliminator, um, but a big, big fight anyway for Virgil Ortiz, definitely. Obviously, Jerron Ennis, um, you know, that's the fight that I really want to see Virgil Ortiz in. Um, but I just I just kind of sense that uh, that fight could be some time away, unfortunately. I don't really know when we'll see that fight. Um, but anyway, that is the weekend recap. Um, thank you very much for listening. I hope you all have a blessed Monday. And uh, I will be back here tomorrow. I'm not too sure what we're talking about tomorrow, but it will be another podcast episode. I'm sure it will be enjoyable. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out all my social media at 2 Fez. And uh, yeah, I will see you guys tomorrow.